0: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Christ is born. Glorifying you. for my stand here. Thanks, madam. In the matin service this morning, it talked about us. Uh, worshipping our Lord with orthodox theology. So I thought I'd I'd start with a little bit of theology to make sure we understand what uh, this service is all about. It's a celebration of salvation just as much as Pascha is. If Jesus is not God, then we're not saved, even by his death and resurrection, because only God can save us. So the texts of our nativity service today, especially the um, Matins, celebrate the divinity revealed in the birth of Jesus and marvel at the wonder of God becoming one of his own creatures. All the emphasis is on God becoming human. God the Word unites human nature to himself in Jesus Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity, becomes human without ceasing to be divine in the womb of Mary. This is the great mystery that we're celebrating today. If our thinking uh, starts with the human Jesus and we wonder how on earth could he be God, we're actually coming at it from the wrong angle. We should start as the early church fathers and theologians of the early church did, and start by saying, start with the divine Jesus, and then ask, how on earth did God become a man? That's the question that the early church councils were dealing with. How on earth did God become a human being? And Christmas is essentially a celebration of God becoming human in Jesus. You remember Athanasius' uh, great statement, um, God became human so that human beings might become divine. That was kind of a theological hashtag of the 4th and 5th centuries. Um, and it explains that the initiative was God's and the purpose was to save us. Our Christian hymns speak almost as though salvation was achieved by the incarnation alone. There are a few references to the death of Jesus and the victory of the cross. But the incarnation can't be understood um, to have brought us salvation by itself. The death and resurrection of Jesus are absolutely essential. What they achieve together is to overcome the separation between us and our creator caused by human sin and rebellion. All humankind and all creation is reconciled to God and shares in the life and joy of heaven. That's the end of the theology, just to make sure you understand what we're commemorating today. Now, just a couple of thoughts from our readings for today. When the time had fully come, we're told, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. When the time had fully come, I remember actually when I was at Western Theological College, we had to write an essay on this and explain why we thought it was the right time for Jesus to come. And so I wrote an amazing essay. I got quite a good mark for it, uh, saying things like, Well, because there was peace throughout the Roman Empire, they all spoke the same language, sort of Greek language was all over the world, and uh, there were good roads, so the gospel could go out fast, and so on and so on. But, you know, I've been thinking lately that I would have failed that if I'd have had an Orthodox marker, (laughs) because I missed the most important reason why Jesus came at that time. And the reason he came at that time was because he had found a holy woman who was willing to take Jesus in her womb and give birth to him. That's the power of responding positively to God. It changed the world. It changed the world by that one woman growing up in the temple, becoming a holy person, and then saying, Yes. When the messenger came from God to announce what he had in store for her. That was the real reason why that was the fullness of time, because he found uh, someone to um, come into this world through. Now, mothers and girls, little word for you first. We have the mother of God to follow. Are we saying yes to Jesus for our husbands, for our sons, for our daughters? Are we becoming holy? You know, the church needs holy women to be wives of priests. There's a few priests around well, they're all all—they're not priests yet because they're waiting to find a wife who's willing to serve in that capacity. And there is a shortage. It's not uh, something that the modern girl is jumping up and down about. They'd rather go off and do something else than be the wife of a priest, which makes it very difficult for the church to find priests and wives who can serve together. So it's a challenge for the mother's for the women and for the young girls as they think about their futures. But it's not just the young women, of course, it's the young men as well. And the young men, you know, are you willing to serve God as a priest? It's pretty demanding. But if it's God's will for you, you wouldn't want to be anywhere else. If it's the right thing for you, this is where you should be. So let's all follow the example of Mary. If the call comes and say yes, of course we might think that we're called to serve in the church, uh, or our husbands are, or whatever. Um, but then the church might say no. So there's two sides to this. We we have a sense of calling, and then the church confirms that. So that's the reason why it was the time when that was the time had fully come, and he came, of course, to um, uh, redeem us, to rescue us. What was involved in this? It's more than just saving us from something. It's also saving us for something. Just going back to the sort of typology in the Old Testament of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. They escape the slavery that they had in Egypt. They escape the powerful Pharaoh and they get across the Red Sea and the... the uh, the Egyptian army is destroyed in the waters of the Red Sea. And just imagine them. They get to the other side and they're going, whew, we're saved. Wonderful. We're saved. Then they go, now what do we do? <laughs> now what do we do? And for them, it wasn't just to be in the wilderness wandering around for 40 years. That happened. But they had a goal, and their goal was to get to Jerusalem, to Mount Zion, and to be connected to God in the temple. And when we're saved by the death and resurrection of Christ, by his incarnation, his death and his resurrection, it's not just so that we're saved from sin and the devil and, and our rebellion. We're saved for something. We're saved to become like Mary, a holy person. We're saved for service like Mary, to do whatever God asks us to do. That's very important. We're saved to become Christ-like, God-like. This is deification. The Jews were saved to unite with him in the temple. We're saved to unite with him in our temples, Sunday by Sunday, and then um, at these special feasts we have. So we're not just saved from something; we're saved for something. In Jesus' own words, sorry, Saint Peter's words, we are called to be made partakers of the divine nature, which God brought down to earth in the person of Jesus. We can't do that without coming to church. Um, speaking to those who are maybe still tempted to stay at home and watch the live streaming here in a few weeks' time, a couple of weeks' time, we're going to have some baptisms. And you'll notice, if you follow those services of baptism, you will remind us that we're not baptised into the internet. We're baptised into the body of Christ. And this is the body of Christ here. This is where we belong. I know there's been challenges with COVID and all that sort of stuff. And the internet's been marvellous for us. But... We are baptised into the body of Christ. We have to be here eventually. We have to get back to worshipping God together. This is the only way we can receive the body and blood of Christ. We can't receive the body and blood of Christ over the internet. And this, I'll just put this little message in here to all those who are watching, especially those who are not able to be with us because of the government restrictions, unfortunately. And I don't want you to feel that you're being cut out by the new... Uh, rules that we can have everybody who's double vaccinated in the church here. What I was worried about, and I talked to the bishop about it and Father Nicholas as well, um, we're worried about the fact that we can't get everybody into the church every week. and this is not good. The other churches have now, but because of the university restrictions, we still can't have everybody back in, only double vaccinated into the into the ch- university. We asked the bishop if he could sort of allow us to do it this way. That means that as many as a double vaccinated come to this, this university chapel and then everybody else goes on Saturday morning to Father Nicholas at St. Paul's and we'll get everybody, there's no reason why we can't get everybody through the uh, liturgy every week and everybody receiving the body and blood of Christ every week. And that's what we want to achieve The last thing I want to say is that there were different responses to Jesus' birth. The wise men rejoiced. In other gospel stories, the the shepherds rejoiced. But then when we read about Herod in the gospel, it says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And that's the same today. We're all rejoicing But there's others who aren't rejoicing. There are others who are troubled. And I just want to draw one message out of this today, the thought that came to me out of this today. Herod had absolute power of life and death. Anything he wanted, he could do it. He executed uh, John the Baptist, just took his head off, just because his wife wanted that. That's absolute power. He didn't want the wise men to find Jesus so that he could worship him. He, want, he had a murderous intent. He wanted to destroy him. He wanted to destroy any competition that was coming his way. But the good news about this that I want us to take away today, we have, we have a, um, a state government that's bringing in laws that are very anti-Christian, very anti-Christian, giving us a very hard time at the moment. And we might get a bit discouraged and depressed and worried about it, but don't. Herod had absolute power. He could not kill Jesus because Jesus uh, was protected by God. He was part of God's plan and nothing could disrupt what God has intended to do. And whatever our governments decide to do, whatever they decide to do, nothing Nothing can disrupt what God wants to do. We need to take that away with us today. Just as Herod couldn't do anything, they'll not be able to do anything either. It might give us a rough time. Herod actually killed a whole lot of children, innocent children, which is terrible, but he wasn't able to disrupt God's plan of salvation. And we need to remember that in the coming days, if it gets difficult. Nothing can obstruct God's purposes. That should be encouraging. Are you encouraged? Everybody encouraged? A few nods. Wonderful. Great. All right. So, just as the shepherds rejoiced, just as the wise men rejoiced, we too should rejoice at what has happened this day. That God has become a human being for our salvation. Christ is born. Oh,